Solomon was king of Israel. As I said, he'd been king for four years. And he was finally ready to build the temple. And I imagine that there were whispers around town, you know, and rumors going around of people saying, Did you hear the good news? Did you hear the good news? King Solomon's going to build the temple. He's finally ready to begin construction. You know, they'd been talking about the vast amount of uh, materials and wealth that they've already accumulated. Uh, Solomon's father, David, had already started uh, drawing up plans and gathering some materials. And now Solomon, when he became king, he started gathering even more materials. And they were uh, getting the friend of David uh, there in, in verse uh, one says that Hiram uh, was helping along with that. And uh, this King Hiram, the king of Tyre, uh, was helping to bring in wood from Lebanon, tall cedar trees, trees that were 40 feet tall, they say, and, and huge in circumference. And these, these large trees would be good for building uh, pillars and, and constructing the temple. And he was helping to bring in what was needed. And uh, it would be the most beautiful building, the most glorious building in all the world. Some have described it like a, like a necklace or like a jewel that adorned the world during that time. There wouldn't be another building like it, historians say, for 300 years. Not another building that could hold a candle to this great and magnificent structure that they were going to build. Did you know that we are working on a building today? Did you know that? The New Testament church, we are busy building. It's an analogy that that fits what the church is. We are a building. We're going to look at that today. And you and I, not only are we a part of this structure, this spiritual structure, but you and I are involved in building, in the construction process. We have a purpose for being here. God didn't just save us just to bless us and give an abundant life, although He does that when we live according to His Word. God has a greater purpose for us, and that is for everyone to get their hands in the work, everyone to roll up their sleeves, and everyone to get involved. And I'm not talking about the church work day on the 13th. That's a little part of it, okay? It's greater than that. And it's, it's broader than that. And it's not just what we do when we're here on this little postage stamp of, of earth, in uh, the former village of antiquity. It's your whole life, man. It's you. It's all that God made you to be. It's all that God wants to do through your life. We are working on building something for God's glory. So let's look at my first point, the construction. The construction in verse 1. So Solomon is... He's, he's made plans and he's now ready to start to build this building. As we read, uh, the house in verse 2, which Solomon built for the Lord, he gives the size of it and so on. Not only was it to be a great structure and built of, of uh, gold and jewels and precious stones and so on, but there were a lot of men who were needed for the work. He would gather men to be able to hew stones out. He would gather men to be able to put together the boards and bring them from Lebanon to build the walls. And uh, he would gather all of these men that you read about if, you, if you've been doing your, your Bible reading and have read chapter 6. It says that uh, 30,000 men were sent to Lebanon. 
to cut down Saul, uh, tall cedar trees. 80,000 were sent to nearby mountain quarries to cut and polish stone. 70,000 men were called to do other jobs. And what they would do is they would work for a month and then they would have two months off. That's a pretty good plan, isn't it? Uh, and, and these thousands of men were, were, were working together, each one knowing that he was doing his part in building a house for God. Think of it. Instead of fighting wars like they did under King David. David was a man of war. He wanted to build a house. And God said, no, David, you can't build a house for me. You're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. The Lord said, I've got, a, I've got another man. He, your son, he's going to build the house for me. He will be a man of peace. His kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. It was a 1,000 year reign in type What Solomon's reign was, was a type of the 1,000 year, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. There are so many types with Solomon that we could look at and apply to Jesus Christ. But his life is a picture of what it will be like when Jesus Christ reigns on this earth. There will be true peace. And Jesus won't have to compromise truth in order to get peace in this world. That's what our political leaders are doing these days. That's what our social and economic leaders are doing. Uh, Sociologists are working on that. And the the world, uh, the the WEF, (laughs) the World Economic Foundation, and the, the WHO, and all of these people, these groups, are trying to work together to make a a worldwide global system and they're trying to make peace and they're doing it by compromising the word of God, making things that are different, making them the same, telling you that black is white and white is black and male is female and female is male and and trying to get rid of all differences. We're we're all part of one religion. You know, all of all of the great three world religions are all traced back to, to Father Abraham, whether you're a Muslim or whether you're a Christian or whether you're a Jew, it, it makes no matter. And even the Hindus, the Eastern religions and the and the Buddhists and the Taoists, even even they recognize that Jesus was a great prophet. And so they're they're trying to build bridges and common ground and at the same time compromise truth and, and, and trying to say that the six day creation of, of God that's not literal and, and, and propagating the lie of evolution and all of these things the purpose is, is to try to get everybody to get along and, it, and it's, it's, it's going to find its fulfillment in the first three and a half years of the tribulation under the Antichrist But God says they will say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because there will be no peace without the Prince of Peace. And there will be no peace in this world until first righteousness reigns. So our world is trying to build a false peace based on unrighteousness, ungodliness, and they want you to accept it. See, you and I are the problem. Because we won't accept it. But here was a man, King Solomon, he was a man who was a peaceful man, he had a peaceful reign, and these men who were working for King Solomon were just enjoying being able to build something, rather than going out to fight and leaving their families. So, as I said, you and I are working on a building too. And you will enjoy peace. Perfect, pure peace in your heart and in your home and in your life if you are busy doing God's will during this time. You'll enjoy the only true peace that there is in this life. 
If you're living according to the Word of God. We studied it in Sunday school. The abundant life that Jesus wants for us as our Good Shepherd. And you and I are the only ones who truly can have peace. This world is busy working on all kinds of things that won't last. They're, they're Like Jesus said, they're laboring for the meat which perisheth. And they're just going after that and attaining different things in their lives and, and, and purchasing and, and uh, claiming for themselves all kinds of possessions and, and just all of these pursuits in life, this world, we're going after and finding no peace. So what you find is you find more people than ever who are addicted to drugs such as alcohol or other things. Uh, people who are taking medications that's rampant right now. Why? Because people have no peace. You find Christians, Christian families, with no peace. They say that the divorce rate in Christian homes, among Christians, is actually higher than the world. What's the problem? No peace. And ultimately, it's because you don't have both hands in the work. Not living according to the guidelines of the Good Shepherd. Not living according to the Word of God. Not busy building a life that God wants you to build. Because I know this, I've lived both lives. I know the difference. And I know that when you serve the Lord, there is joy, there's peace, and there's purpose in your life. And we're supposed to be busy. 1 Corinthians 3.9 For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You see? You are the building. If you're saved, you're a living stone. It's not a physical building on earth. It's not a temple somewhere in the Middle East. A place that you go to worship God. We are the temple. We are the building. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 21. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're built upon the foundation. You say, what's the foundation? Well, Jesus Christ, he's the chief cornerstone. The apostles, they laid the foundation. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets... And we are a building fitly framed together, growing together. So as each person gets saved, they're just another piece, another stone in the building, building this structure. And what is it for? What's the purpose of this building? It's for worship. It's a temple for God to dwell in. Uh, and it says that a fitly framed together, growing unto a holy temple in the Lord. And you know, no one of us has a more important part than another. You know, imagine if you're, you're in the streets of, of uh, Jerusalem at that time. It's 1000 B.C. Uh, the rumors are going around. King Solomon's finally ready to start building the temple. And you're just maybe wandering around in a marketplace. Maybe you're... You're looking at some things and buying what you need to make a meal for the day. Or maybe you're out in a marketplace and you're meeting with a, another man and talking about uh, a, a current project that's going on and plans for next week and where we're going to be and this kind of thing. And, and, uh, and you overhear a couple of children having a conversation. And one, one little girl says, my father is busy in the quarries cutting stone. And he polishes those stones and he gets them to such a high polish and shine, you can just almost see your face in it. The, the sun just reflects off of these stones. 
And then, and then he sends them off, and they're, they're carried uh, here into the city, to the Temple Mount. And, and the boy says, oh, well, yeah, well, my father, he's, he's off in Lebanon for a month. And uh, he took to the sea in a boat, and, and he's cutting down these tall cedar trees. My, my father, he's big and strong. And, and, uh, and they're floating those, those trees on rafts coming down the Mediterranean Sea, and they come into the coast of Joppa. And, and he says, my father's got a more important job than your father does. My father travels and all this and that. And you know what? They all had an important job. There's no job that was more important because everything that they were doing was going into the finished project. The beauty of the temple. There were some who were working with gold and they would cover the, the wood. Uh, they, they were, there were some who were doing different things. And it was amazing. They say, somebody has said that it was the building that was built with a hush. Because they said that they brought everything in already fitted and shaped and ready to go for construction. And when they brought it to the actual temple site, you were not supposed to use a hammer or any, any, any uh, tool of iron or anything like that. There was to be no noise at the temple site. Everything was placed together and everybody was quiet. And uh, there was no noise, no shouting, nothing like that. It was a quiet construction at the temple site, and they did that out of honor and reverence for God. It was an amazing project. But everybody had a part. And you know what? In the church today, we all have a part. Not one of us could be said to be more important than another. The difference between my ministry is just that I'm called to preach the Word of God, but I'm simply a mouthpiece. I'm simply a voice. When I'm gone, somebody else will take my place. And, and uh, the work will go on. We're all important. Guess what? If you're not here, you're missed. If you stop fellowshipping with us from week to week, from year to year, and you stop serving the Lord, you're missed. And it, and it hurts. Because we all are here together, working together, ministering to one another. And then we go out into the world to serve and to do what God would have us to do. Everyone working happily for God. And when it's working right, it's really a blessing. But churches can turn into toxic work zones as well. That's not the point of my message. But some churches, they turn into a place where, where it's a legalistic uh, form of religion. And some churches have religion and, and you have to meet all these criteria and if you can check this box and do this this and this and you fit in with our group and it becomes like an outward type of a compliance with with a set of rules and that is not biblical christianity that is not the new testament new testament christianity is just it's in the spirit it's yielding to the spirit I preach the Word of God, and yes, the Bible has standards on morals, and yes, the Bible even has standards on dress and modesty and all those kind of things. But as I preach the Word of God, you're simply just listening and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? Is that for me? Is that not for me? What do you have for me today? And Lord, what would you like me to do? And you're simply just yielded to the Spirit. And you just do whatever the Spirit tells you to do. And everyone doing their part. That's why I really don't believe in... I don't believe in like volunteering people and appointing people to tasks. I don't think it's biblical. I just I rather would like to just make an announcement. We need help in this area. 
And if the Lord puts it on your heart, would you volunteer? Would you show up at such and such a time? I'd rather do it that way. Really would. Construction. Now the cost. No expense was spared, just briefly on this. No expense at all. The, the gold of the temple would come to about $171 billion. That's a, an estimate from 1970. It's really hard to estimate how much it would have cost. You have inflation and all of that. They say that it, just the gold now, just the gold, could be as much as $400 billion, not million, billion in 1990. And that doesn't include the value of the other things that were used, such as the silver trumpets or, or the vestments that were made and, and, and so many other things, the, the price of the lumber and so on. But estimates today could be upwards of around or more than $500 billion to build this lavish structure. Very costly. Now, whether or not that was right or wrong, I'm going to sidestep that issue. There's no price tag that you can put on the work of God today. Yeah, building $500 billion. I don't think you've got a building like that today in this country. I don't know that you do. I don't know the cost of buildings in this country. But decorated like that, with gold and carvings all over the place, everything covered in gold. They, they say to look on that thing, if you were coming into the city of Jerusalem, it just, it just it shined like the sun. Because the white stones were, were polished to such a shine and trimmed out in gold and everything. But you cannot put a price on what God is doing Today, it's more than $500 billion. It's more valuable than anything that you might want to pursue in your life. It's more valuable than anything that you think you could attain. It's more valuable than all the junk that we can stuff into our garages <laughs> and park around our houses. And uh, it's more valuable than anything. But why don't we value it? Think of what Jesus said Mark chapter 8 and uh, he says in verse 34, When he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Listen to this. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You know what Jesus said? He's saying in effect that your soul, amen, your soul is more valuable than all the world. If you really understood the value of it. Jesus said there's no comparison. You take a worldly man just out there pursuing worldly things and he's, he's getting all the world that he wants. He has maybe the world of sports. He's at the top of the world of sports. Everybody knows his name. He's a household name. He's, he's got two or three homes. You know, he's got all these fast cars and these Lamborghinis and stuff. and He's got everything. He thinks. But Jesus said even if you could gain the whole world, it's not worth the price of your soul. And Jesus died for the souls of all men. Think of the value. Think of how important, how, how valuable we are to God. That God himself would voluntarily lay down his life on a cross to pay the price 
for our sins. To free us from the bondage of sin. Guys, not just free to do whatever we want to do, but free from the bondage of sin to serve Jesus Christ. And to build the building. And have abundance and peace and joy and satisfaction in life. And to have purpose. I, I quoted from a Gallup poll that was done recently, and it's just a timeless Gallup poll. That means it just applies until the Lord comes back. That people in this country that were not Christians, unchurched people, identifying their greatest needs, and they, they came up with seven of them. And one of those, it was right up at the top, was a sense of purpose in life. Do you realize you get that? That comes with salvation. You get a sense of purpose. You say, what's my purpose? You're building a building. You have a purpose for being here. Every one of us, from the smallest to the greatest, or to the biggest, we all have a purpose. From the youngest to the oldest. I don't care how long you've been saved. You've got a purpose. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing that you could give. If you had all the riches of Solomon, you couldn't buy salvation for your soul. It's offered to you as a free gift. Free gift. Have you taken that gift of eternal life? I uh, was recently um, chatting with my, my Aunt Sue, texting with her. And she had, uh, she had uh, been talking to her daughter, and her daughter was caring for a woman who was on hospice care, and this woman was afraid to die. That was her words. And um, so she uh, was talking with her mom, and Aunt Sue said, what about John Paul? And, and uh, my mom contacted me, and she said, would you be willing to go up to Cambridge? And uh, I know it's a long ways away, so just if whenever you're coming up, just go. And now I'm going to tell this story, and it's going to sound like I'm making a hero out of myself. I'm sorry for that. I'm not trying to do that. That's not the point of it. But they said, uh, you know, don't come up just for that. Just the next time you're coming up. So I, I got a hold of my Aunt Sue and I said, I'll, I'll come up today. Or I said, I'll come up this Saturday. And that was on Friday. I said, I'll come up on Saturday. She said, don't do that. You know, come all that way. That's coming from here to Cambridge, Ohio, where I was born and raised. And I said, not trying to be super spiritual or anything, but I said, the Lord Jesus came from glory. And he went all the way to Calvary. And he would have done it for me. So there's really, I'll go wherever I possibly can go within reason to lead somebody to Christ. I don't even know the lady. But you know what's so sad about that? Pray for her. If you would just say a silent prayer for her right now. When they said a preacher will come talk to you, she said, oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. I don't know what the barrier is. But all I want to do is come to her and tell her about a free gift of eternal life. Jesus already paid the price. But listen, just because I have a free gift to offer to you, just because I'm willing to drive two hours to come and bring it to you, you have the responsibility of receiving it. And God won't force His love on anybody. Not even on a deathbed. He won't force His love on anybody. And say a prayer for her. I don't know what's going on. She has some time left and... Uh, you know, people are dying all around us all the time, but when you hear about one, and you hear that still, at that point, you know you're going to die, and they don't want to hear from a gospel minister. I don't, I don't understand it. The, the devil, 
has people so confused about what it is that we do as Christians, I think. Maybe, maybe there was a hypocrite in the church that offended her. Maybe it was a pastor of a church. Maybe she belonged to a church at one time and she was offended and hurt by her church. I don't know. You know, God's interested in people today. Can I say that before I move on to my last point? God's interested in people. He's not interested in buildings. Um, I like a, just a plain, simple church building. I think the tabernacle was just fine. God didn't want this building. David wanted to do it. God said, yeah, I don't need a building. I'm too big to dwell in a building. And I don't need a house. I got the tabernacle is what God was saying to him. But David said, no, I want to build it. So God said, all right, I'll let you build it. But you can't do it. Solomon, your son's got to do it. God didn't want that building. He didn't call for it. And you know, today, uh, I just like a simple place to meet. Just like the tabernacle. It was simple. It was smaller than a temple. I just like a simple place. And I just want a place that would serve the needs of a church family. A, A church building is just like a house. You know, Beth and I got a house with several rooms because we wanted that to be able to foster. You have to have a room for boys, room for girls, and so on. A house is just there to meet your needs. And then once you're an empty nester and the kids move out, you know, a lot of times people downsize to a smaller house. But that's all it is. It's just a building just to meet needs. I believe it ought to be clean and look as nice as we can possibly make it, but that's not the important thing. Back in the first century, churches met just in businesses or in homes, you know, I've heard about, a, heard about an evangelist that went into uh, a, a town in, in England <laughs> to start a church. And this evangelist just went into town and there were some Christians there and they weren't getting with it of starting a church, which was much needed for that area. And so he just simply just walked right out into the center of the, of the, of the community, right out in just downtown and just walked where there's people all around him. And he just said, folks, would you please listen to me? Would you listen up? Uh, My name is so-and-so. I'm an evangelist. I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These folks here would like to start a church in this town. And uh, the problem is we don't have a meeting place. We're not able to acquire a building. Would somebody here volunteer their home? And there was just a little old lady there. And uh, she looked around and, you know, and she said, "I, I will. You can meet in my kitchen. So they started a Bible study in that lady's kitchen. And from that... Our church grew out of that. Eventually they found their own meeting place. The, the important thing is just that you have a place to meet. You see, it's, a, it's just a building. But what God is interested in is God is interested in people. He wants us to work and labor to bring people to Christ. The one who paid the ultimate cost. Now, the next point is this. The creativity. The creativity. The polished stones were put together. As I said, the wood was fitted to the stones. Brass pillars were raised up in front of them. Gold was put over the wood and so on and so forth. It was a beautiful building. It took, more, uh, it took thousands of men and it took more than seven years to build. But it was creative. There were workers who did things to beautify that temple. And how do you think that people felt is they were able to, to put their hands to the work and then step back and see this beautiful structure and see the work. You know, they've, they've finished the work. They can step back. They can appreciate and have a sense of pride, the good kind of pride, in something that they've done. And they did it with creativity. 
You know, our God is a creative God. We can see that in all that He made. We can see that in the way that He makes each person unique. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different likes and interests. It's obvious that God is creative. You, you go down to the beach, you pick up a, hand, a, a handful of sand, and if you could look at those pieces of sand close enough, you would discover that they're just like snowflakes. Everyone is different. None of them match. None of them are the same. Our God is infinitely creative. We see the beauty of all that He does, especially this time of year as everything starts to blossom and flourish. And, and it's a blessing. God makes people and He makes us with creative abilities. And when you can do something, how do you feel about that? You're involved in a church program or you're involved with life's, the lives of people and you're trying to be a good witness to them, good example. How do you feel when you do something creative and you step back and you look at what you've done? Like last Sunday, I don't know who did this, so I'm not trying to puff anybody up, but I think it was last Sunday that somebody put together little jars with little pieces of like uh, paper, tissue paper on there and, and glue, had the kids glue it on and then put like a little electric candle in the middle, you know, and at nighttime, putting the boys to bed, I, I've been going in there a couple of nights and turning that on for them, and now they're, they're doing it themselves, that's their little nightlight in there, and it's to remind them that Jesus is the light of the world. That's a creative way to serve God, and those kind of things stick with children. I remember the first time I ever went to church as a kid, it was an Easter Sunday, and I remember the craft that that lady put together. I still remember it, and I remember doing it. That stuck with me. It was creative. Creative way of teaching. That's just one way to use creativity in serving the Lord. What sort of talents do you have? What sort of skills do you have? What sort of desires do you have? I have a desire to play guitar and sing. And so I started doing that in church. That's a creative way to serve. Maybe you're good at doing different things. You're good at building and so on. Uh, we, have, we have some people in this uh, congregation that are good at that and being creative. They can just, you can just say, we really could use this. And they can picture it in their minds and then make that into a real thing. <laughs> and, and cut wood and put it together and put what they pictured in their minds and, and make it. And that's a rare thing. Not everybody can do that. Some people are very creative at, at putting together websites and presentations on, you know, uh, on church uh, screens and things like that. There's a lot of different creative ways to serve the Lord. But it's not just the building. It's, it's the people. Creative ways of reaching people. I've been with a church before that, that went out and did open air singing. They took their choir, a youth choir, and they went to Amish country and they got a little pavilion that was set up in, in the middle of town. There's people all around shopping on the weekends and their little youth choir got out there and just belted out some, some Christian songs and some hymns. And people uh, would even stop and sit down in, in plastic chairs and listen for a while. And, you know, one of them might get up with a guitar and sing or something like that. And then... They took turns giving testimonies of how they got saved. And then the pastor would preach just a little bit, preach a short message and do a little gospel invitation. Just a creative way of building the house for God's glory. There's all kinds of things that we can do to be creative. I want to lead this church in putting together a little package of door, a door hanger with, with a few things in it. A brochure for the church and maybe a John and Romans, and we're going to put together the John and Romans to personalize it to this area. And, and I'd like to lead the church in going out and hanging one of these on each door in uh, Syracuse. And just going out into the community and just talking with people. 
getting to know people, letting them know that there's a church that wants to serve their, their spiritual needs, creative ways. And some people are very good at holding conversations. Do you know those kind of people? I'm not exactly real good at it, but it takes some creativity and it takes some interest in people to hold a conversation with a complete stranger and to show an interest in them on behalf of Jesus Christ, to be an ambassador for Christ in doing that. It's not hard to do. It's not hard to do at all. You know, cutting a tree might not seem like it's very creative. Polishing a stone might not seem very creative. Building a raft and floating trees down the sea of, of uh, the Great Sea doesn't seem very creative. Being at the harbor in Joppa and pulling those things out of the water and somehow transporting them to Jerusalem doesn't seem very creative. But there's all kinds of things that we do in everyday life when we're building the building, which is people, again, people, that are not very creative. A mother standing at a sink doing dishes. What is she doing? She's caring for her life. She's caring for an eternal soul, meeting their immediate needs, physical needs of food. A woman standing in, in the laundry room pulling another load of laundry out of the dryer and folding them up just so-so. And, and in my house, there is a right way that you fold a shirt. And that's Beth's way. And every other way is wrong. Now, but she's very creative. She's got her way. And don't, don't laugh too much because I know the same is true of you. There's a right way to fold a towel, right, ladies? There's only one way, and that's your way. And uh, that's how you put that in there. And you've got to just so-so. There's a very creative uh, way that women take care of a house and manage a house and make it into a home. But all of that just says, I love you to the people that they're caring for. But I want you to see that as a spiritual thing. I'm almost done. But even caring, you know, caring for kids, letting them, letting them help. There's a creativity, creativity to that. You know, letting them help gather the change. They're super excited about that. Just because you'll let them do something. And seeing them, letting them be there and not be invisible. And investing in them, doing any little thing that you can do to love them to Jesus Christ. Will make a great difference. There's a creative touch to it. I know of many things, but I'm trying not to single out anyone in particular. See all of the tasks that you do in your life. You get down in your private time at home and you pray for the people in this church and you pray for the children. And it doesn't seem like much. But one of these days, when we get to heaven and we see the glorious building finished, we see the finished work. This building is not done until the Lord comes back to call His workers home. And then when we're in heaven, we'll see the church because the church ends at the rapture. It started on the day of Pentecost, and it ends at the rapture. That's the conclusion of the church, of this building. We can't stand back and see the finished process. What we might see at the time is we might see a wayward child that we'd worked so hard on. And we don't see the finished product, what God might do with their lives. But one day we will see the building. We'll see the completion. The temple was, was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet high. There was a great celebration at the end that I want to deal with tonight in tonight's message. Celebration involved a sermon. It involved offerings. It involved a prayer of dedication. It involved worship. So tonight I want to pre preach about the creativity of our worship. 
tonight. But let me conclude by saying this. Are you a gospel worker right now? Do you have both hands in? You can be a gospel worker building the life of your marriage. You don't have any kids in the home. It's just you and your spouse. Guess what? You're building the life of your spouse. You're building your own life. If you stop being a spiritual encouragement and stop encouraging your spouse in the work, guess what happens? Maybe one of you gets out of church. Maybe eventually the other one gets tired of going by themselves or else they keep going to church by themselves for the rest of their lives, but they're discouraged in the work. See, you're helping to encourage praying for your wife, reading the Bible together, creative ways of of, uh, encouraging your spouse in the work. Are you a gospel worker? Are you interested in teaching Sunday school? We could use creative people teaching Sunday school, make learning fun. We could use a bus driver. There's all kinds of opportunities to serve. Do you, do you have both hands in the gospel work? Some people are busy keeping, teaching their kids to keep their eye on the ball and take their eyes off of Jesus. Some people are busy teaching their kids to keep their eye on the almighty dollar. They teach it every day by their lives and to take their eyes off of the God on that dollar bill that says that we trust in. People busy doing all kinds of things. I want to know, are you, are you working on the building? Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life to live, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. With heads bowed just before the Lord, God knows your heart. Are you busy building the building? Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you doing for Christ right now? What are you doing to, to build up another life? To point them to the cross. Is there someone that you could bring to church with you? They say of of young people in this country, young Christians, that they've lost sight of the work of God and stopped supporting the work through regular tithing. They say of all church attenders in this country that just a little over 50% give a tenth of their income regularly to support the work of God. Not very many people building the building. I want you to be one of them. I want to build the building together. Who are you praying for that they'd be saved? Are you you busy building your own life Are you committed to the Lord? You say, Lord, till you come back, I'm going to faithfully attend church week after week. I'm going to grow in my faith. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. Bless this service. Bless this message. 
bless these that are, that are here. Lord, we have so many different lives that are uh, different in a hundred different ways. And there's something creative that you have for each one of us to do. There's, there's some work, and I can't stand up here and list all the different opportunities and different things. There's things that just you, uh, your Holy Spirit is just going to tell us to do and lead us to do. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to get a vision of it and to be willing to just obey and that you would show us You'd give us different things to do, different creative ways to reach people. Lord, we came up with a creative way of taking up change for tracks on the first Sunday of each month. And Lord, you gave us that idea. That idea came from you. And I just pray that you just multiply all of these little ways that we can creatively serve you. That help us, Father, to have both hands in the work. We commit ourselves to you once again. We commit ourselves to the gospel work in this area and the work of this church. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. With that, we are dismissed.